0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. You want to just turn with me over to 1 Corinthians. We continue on our series. Uh, This week we are talking about women speaking in the service. And I tried to put this off one more week till Mother's Day. I thought this would be... Just a wonderful Mother's Day message that really touched the heart of the ladies. Um, but I couldn't wait any longer, so we're just going to go for it. First Corinthians uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 33. Um, we're, gonna just briefly, we're going to just uh, briefly. We are going to remodel this sanctuary, and I, I, we talked about this I think two weeks ago. We're going to remodel the sanctuary. And we're going to get more seating. Hopefully at that point, we're also going to get some new carpeting, redo some of the stuff in the back. And we need to know what we're going to be able to do with the resources that we have. And so we're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to ask that if you'd like to participate in that, in that giving to, to raise the funds to redo this thing, if we could get some pledges by the end of this month. Meaning we want to figure out, we don't want to overspend, we don't want to spend money we don't have, and so, therefore, we're going to take some pledges to get an idea of the extent of which we can reduce some of the stuff in the sanctuary. And so I think uh, May 22nd, which is three weeks away, uh, if you could just keep in mind, prayerfully consider participating in that. And we'll be able to go from there to understand, you know, what we need, what we can uh, do to replace some of the stuff in here. So... We're going to find out real quick as we go downstairs today that we're going to be, we're out of room in the basement to really have, like, get together as we want to turn this room into multi-purpose function instead of just using this room for an hour and a half, uh, one day a week. We want to be able to use this multiple ways. We put chairs in here, we'll put tables in here at some point if we want to and just rearrange some things. So um, that is going to be May 22nd and we'll begin trying to get some stuff together probably this summer to rearrange and redo the sanctuary, okay? So May 22nd, please prayerfully consider about participating in that. All right, let's pray as we uh, turn to God's word this morning and hear from him. So Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that your name would be exalted above all names. God, that as we open your word, as we dig into your word this morning, we pray that you would continue to speak to us Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move and give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive. We pray that you would take your word and you would press it into us, that we would be able to see the glory and the majesty of all that you are and all that you've done in these passages this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple weeks ago, um, maybe it was last week actually, uh, Barack and Michelle Obama went to Saudi Arabia, okay, Saudi Arabia, and they went to Saudi Arabia for a number of different reasons, but uh, primarily to pay respects to the late Saudi King Abdullah. Now, while they visited in Saudi Arabia, um, they, they're, they're, really there's a lot of pressure to conform to the, the culture and the norms as you go to visit another country. And so, um, this, is what, this is what was said. His visit, which he cut short as a much-hyped trip to India, underscores how important the U.S.-Saudi relationship remains to the American leadership. On social media, however, much of the attention was focused on something else, Michelle's attire. All right. Now, before I read this, this is not... This is not a bash against the president, this is not a bash against his wife, this is not a political dig or anything like that at all, so please, please hear me out here. I'm I'm just using this as an illustration, not as a means of somehow, you know, secretly trying to undermine the Obamas or anything like that, okay? So you guys get that? You guys understand that, okay? All right. As noted by the Associated Press, Associated Press, Michelle Obama did not wear a headscarf on Tuesday when she was there. In Saudi Arabia, that's unusual. The country is one of the few places on earth where women women are expected to cover their heads, as most Saudi women do wear the head cover, the headscarves. Now, the problem was is that Michelle Obama did not wear a headscarf, which raised a lot of questions in the eyes of some of the people who live in Saudi Arabia, because here we have a visiting uh, dignity coming to Saudi Arabia. Michelle Obama does not wear a headscarf. She did wear, like they said, that she wore long, you know, flowing clothes. So it, was, so it wasn't so was crazy immodest. But the fact that she did not wear a headscarf garnered a, a, a firestorm on Twitter, okay? And so from the one day that she did not wear a head, headscarf, there were over 1,500 tweets with the hashtag, all right, Roughly translated, Michelle Obama immodest. Okay? So, all criticizing the First Lady from Saudi Arabia's perspective. Now, we ask this question Did she have to wear the headscarf? Did Michelle Obama, was it necessary? Did she, ha- was, was she forced to wear a headscarf? No. Right? She has every right in the world to not. Have to wear or not have to conform to a foreign, really culture where she could be herself and say, like, I don't wear headscarves at home. I'm not going to wear headscarves when I go here. Right? That that is perfectly her right to do, isn't it? Now, the question then doesn't become is it her right, but is it then is it wise? Is it wise for her to wear a headscarf or to not wear a headscarf? That's a, that's a whole nother question. We'll get back to this in a moment. I just want to kind of bring that to us, just to, just to start thinking a little bit about the effects that we can have as we f- enter into a foreign culture, as we, as we engage with a culture that's not our own, and the effects that it has on us and our freedoms to be able to do what we want to do, right? Okay, now, before we read 1 Corinthians 14, I want to just bring a couple things to our attention. This is talking about women, okay? And talking about women, and I wanted to bring us a context for what the lives of women in the first century— Okay, so what did first century, the life of a woman look like? Number one, they were uneducated. They did not go to school. School was not for women. It was for men only. So women were not educated. Number two, the Jews actually believed that it was a sin to teach a woman anything. Okay, it was a sin. It was a sin. It was, it was an actual sin to do that. They went as far to say that you were forbidden. A man was forbidden to talk to a woman On the street, so if you were passing a woman, you were not permitted. It was was not right for you to have a conversation with that woman as you passed her on the street. Okay. Now that was in that was Jerusalem, or that was in um, the Jewish perspective. Now in the church in Corinth, undoubtedly there was Jews, and there were also Greeks and various people groups in the church. In Greece, women also led a very secluded life. So far as to say that in his work, Advice to a Bride and Groom, the writer Plutarch writes this, a woman ought to be modest and guarded in saying anything in the hearing of outsiders. A woman ought to be guarded against saying anything in the hearing of outsiders. He then goes on to write this, a woman ought to do her talking either to her husband or through her husband, okay? So that's first-century life for a woman, all right? That's the context that this passage of Scripture was written. First century, in Greece, women, not appropriate to really be talking to other men on the street, not appropriate to really be talking in the hearing of outsiders, this is, it sounds crazy, but this is the way that it was in the first century, okay? This is the context in which Paul writes this letter. Now, let's get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Keep that in mind. We're going to start in verse 33, the second half of verse 33. As in all the churches of the saints, verse 34, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission to as the law also says. All right, let's pray. That's a good sermon. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual... He should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. All right, all things done decently and in order. So what do we do with a passage like this? What do we do when we come to a passage in Scripture that's pretty clear about specific things that we read and think, well, no one's really doing that. I mean, there wasn't any lady who showed up here this morning as they crossed into the parking lot of the church facilities that said, you know I've got to be quiet now. I can't speak until we get home. Nobody did that. If you did, you should not be doing that, okay? No one did that. So what do we do with passages like this in Scripture? I'm going to take just a moment, because we'll get back to this passage in a second, but i take a moment just to say, what do we do with passages like this in Scripture that we really are hard to swallow and we don't know what to do with? Okay, I'm going to turn over to 2 Timothy. You don't have to turn over there with me. I'm just going to turn there real quick. 2 Timothy 4, verse 13, all right? 4, verse 13, we're going to take a break. We're going to walk away from the passage for just a second. What to do with hard passages in Scripture. 2 Timothy 4, verse 13 reads this. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and, above all, the parchments. Okay? So there's a command in Scripture. There is a command. We are given a very crystal clear command that when we go to Troas, We're to get a cloak from Carpus and also the parchments in the writings. I mean, this this is God's word. It is crystal clear. How many people have ever gone to Troas looking for Carpus to bring a cloak to Paul, right? No one's done that, but yet it's clear. God's word, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, what do we do? No one's attempted to do that. No one's done that, except Timothy, probably. He may not have done it. I don't know. There's a clear command in Scripture. So what do we do? We understand a couple things. It's so important as we interpret Scripture that the context of what is being said is kept into consideration at all times. The context for this, part, this passage in 2 Timothy is Paul's writings, we understand something that Paul's dead, Timothy's dead, Carpus is dead, Paul's cloak is long gone, the parchments and scriptures or whatever he's looking for are long gone. There's a context to which that was written that we understand, saying, look, he's not really writing to us because in that context that meant something, that doesn't mean something for us. Now, if somewhere in the scriptures there's other commands for people to find Carpus and get cloaks, and maybe Jesus telling people, hey, look, it's important when you go to Troas to get cloaks from Carpus, right? Then there'd be somebody to say, hey, we need to pay attention to this. Because there's a bigger context. There's, it's said in different ways, in different times, in different places. Other people are commanding this thing. It must be really important for us to consider what's being said about cloaks for Carpus, which I think would be a great band name, okay? <laughs> cloaks from Carpus. It's a great band name. We have to understand, we have to take a step back and understand what's the immediate context. Then what's what are, are there other places in scripture where it says something similar? And there's other places in all of Scripture that give this command. And so for, for first or for 2 Timothy, there's not. The context is, is this immediate thing. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. We have to ask ourselves, what is the context? In which this was written is there anywhere else anywhere else in the book of First Corinthians that would illuminate or help us understand that Paul is telling women to to ultimately be completely silent at all times? well, what does he say in 1 corinthians first Corinthians chapter eleven remember this he 's talking to people as they pray and prophesy in church, and he 's assuming that women are to have their head covers when they pray and they prophesy during church. So he's talking about women praying and speaking in church. And he's saying look when they when they do this, when they when they when they speak in church, when they pray and prophesy in church, have their heads covered. Then we read in this chapter he's talking about well, women are to keep silent. So what are we to make of that? Well, we have to remember the context, okay? So what's the immediate context for this passage? If you look back at maybe on top of verse 26 in chapter 14, those, your Bible may have some kind of heading there, right? What does the heading say? The heading says something along the lines of orderly worship or order during the service or something to that regards. Paul is addressing There's some kind of disorder happening during the meeting of the church together that Paul is wanting to address. So Paul, as he's beginning to address order in the service, he addresses three groups of people that were creating some kind of disorder in the service. So the first group of people from verses 27 to 28, Paul's talking about people who speak in tongues, tongue speakers. He begins to address them. Hey, we need to bring some order to the speaking in tongues. The second group of people then are people who are prophesying, verses 29 to 31. Saying, look, as you're prophesying, there needs to be some order in the service. And then the last group of people that Paul begins to address are the women, verses 33 through 35. But the immediate, So that's the immediate context. There's, he's addressing three groups of people, calling for order, calling for peace. But in verse 29, we read this. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. There's some kind of weighing, some kind of judging, some kind of dialogue, discussion about the prophetic words that were being brought and weighing to say, are these things appropriate? Is this for us today? Is Is this a false prophecy? There's some kind of Judgment taking place during the service, people weighing out what's being said during the church service, that Paul said that needs to be done in an orderly fashion because God is a God of peace, not a God of disorder. Now, I remember the first time I came to a, a realization about the money I was making at a real job. So, I, gra- I graduated from college, I went to work for our for a, a small plumbing supply company and uh, went to work there in the warehouse and I remember my getting like a real paycheck I don't know if you remember that like the first real paycheck that you get it's like real money you're not you know I delivered newspapers you know I delivered pizzas I always delivering something and uh, and so I got a job and actually making real money and I remember walking into a candy store at the mall, they used to have candy stores at the mall. I you remember that, right? And I went in there, and my entire life I have been limited by the fact of either someone like my mom or someone my family said, "No, you should not eat lots of candy," or lack of money, not being able to afford lots of candy. But in this moment, I had the money, and my mom was not there, <laughs> and I was hungry. And so I remember walking in there, and there's two things that I love. I love I love Coca-Cola, I love gummy bears. And when the two come together, it's absolutely amazing. These gummy coke bottles, I don't know if you've ever had those before. The two things come together in this perfect, this symbiotic relationship of just this delicious good goodness, you know. And I remember just buying just pounds of this stuff I mean just I got money I got money to burn I got so much money I don't know what to do with it so I'm gonna spend it on candy and just buying just all kinds of candy and now I don't know it's from experience but I heard if you eat like two pounds of that stuff is really bad it's really bad for you inside I don't know from experience I have just heard that but just saying just because I can doesn't mean that I should just because, I, just because I'm able to do that, because I have the freedom to do that, doesn't mean I should do that, right? Now, the book of 1 Corinthians is a testimony. The church, it's, he's dealing with the church's testimony of Jesus Christ to an outside world. The apostle Paul is dealing with a church. It's in, it's in a bit of like chaotic free fall. He's saying, look, you have a testimony as a church of who Jesus Christ is and all that he's done for us and for a dying world around you. And therefore, I want this testimony of Jesus Christ to be crystal clear in everything that you do. I want this to be a testimony of Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, we lay down some of our freedoms and rights that we may otherwise have for the sake and consideration of the people around us whether that be the people in the church or people outside the church. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. Just because we are able to not have to wear the headscarf doesn't mean that we shouldn't. So he talks to people in this book about people eating meat. Look, you have the freedom to eat meat, but some of your brothers and sisters don't have that freedom because it binds them up inside. What should you do? Well, don't eat meat. What about exercising of gifts? I, I, I've got, God's given me the gift of prophetic words and speaking in tongues, but, man, if it's done in a disorderly way or a way that's not peaceful, then you shouldn't do it. Then lay down your rights for the sake of other people. What if I want to sleep with who I want to sleep with? Paul says, look, we need to deal with this. What if I want to participate in temple ceremonies? Paul says, look, this has an effect on the people around you. Don't do it. What if I want to sue my brother or sister because they've taken advantage of me in the courts? Well, you have that right to do that. Paul says, lay down your rights. Be wronged for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's better than taking up your rights and demanding your rights and trying to get your way. He says, lay it down. Be taken advantage of financially for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We never hear that. It almost sounds ridiculous to us. But this is what the Apostle Paul is telling the church to do for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Lay your rights down. And what the Apostle Paul then does is begins to unpack what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, on our behalf, in regards to all these various elements of in the church life. So in verses in chapter 1, verse 18, chapter 2, verse 2, 311, 316, 323, 415, 5, 7, and 8, chapter 6, 19, verses 19 through 20, chapter 9, 22 through 23, 10, 14 through 17, 10, verse 33, 12, verse 27, 15, 1 through 11. He begins to unpack the nature of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and makes application of it in the life of the church. He says, look, because of who Jesus Christ is and because of what he has done and because he laid down his rights, Jesus Christ, who's the only person to ever walk the face of the earth that could say, hey, guys, it is all about me and I've got some rights and I got, uh, there's some things that I want done and you need to listen to what I say and do whatever I say and I don't care about you. Jesus Christ could have done that. But he didn't. He laid down his rights. He became a servant. He suffered for us in our place that we would be forgiven and received and redeemed and saved and transformed. That's what Jesus Christ did. He suffered on our behalf. He didn't have to suffer. The only person who really could say, "Look, I don't have to do this." There's forget the whole thing in the garden of Gethsemane. He could have said, "Look, I'm just going to go home now. Forget this thing." He didn't. He laid down his rights. And now what he says to you and me is this. Come follow me. Come follow me. He's not saying, look, come follow me to a life that's full of peace and tranquility and no sacrifice and abundance and no suffering and ease and comfort. He says, come follow me to my death. That's where I'm going. And if you're going to follow me, it means that you will need to pick up your cross every single day. That's what Jesus Christ is calling us to. And as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that is our responsibility that we have towards one another. The goal of this passage is not the full exercise of my rights, my freedoms, or my gifts. It is for the sake of building up and caring for and loving my brothers and sisters in such a way that it has this effect that strengthens and it helps and it fortifies and it edifies one another. That in all that we do, there would be a consideration that I want to edify my brothers and sisters and if that may mean i have to lay down my rights or i can't speak in tongues as much as i'd like or whenever i would like if that may mean my prophetic words will be weighed and and, and really to be understood if that may mean i can't speak when i want to speak i'll lay my rights down because that's what my savior's done for me we get a call one morning we got a call one morning at the church. We don't, the phone doesn't really ring at, you know, 8.30 in the morning here at the church. Phone rang. I pick it up. It's a neighbor. Someone lives across the street from this church over here. And we are, the worship team was practicing. The windows are wide open. It's a beautiful spring morning, unlike this morning. <laughs> beautiful spring morning. Windows are open, and they say, you know what? I'm so sorry, but the, the worship, the, the sound, the music coming out of the churches is too loud, would you please turn it down or shut the windows? Now, we weren't by any means breaking the, the sound levels or anything like that that would cause us to, to say, hey, look, they're going to call the cops. They're going to come and, you know, shut this thing down. We, we had every right to say, to say, you know what, I'm so sorry. We're church, lady. Shut your windows. Why do we got to shut ours, you know? We, we could have said that. It, it's our right to have our windows open and to have worship practice when we want to have worship practice, right? That's, that's our freedom. We have that freedom here to do that. But should we have? So after I told her that, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't tell her that. <laughs> what kind of testimony would that be towards other people, towards the neighbors? If I said, lady, you shut your windows, right? We're going to turn it up even louder, Because we can. It would have completely soured the testimony of this church with that neighbor. It would have, that decision that I would have made on that conversation with that lady would have completely soured her view of you. Next time she sees you walking out in the parking lot, she's like, what a bunch of jerks. That would have reflected poorly upon you. You didn't even know it. We want to be a blessing to those around us, not a curse. See, my actions spill over and affect the people around me. They may not even know it, but it does. I want to read a, a quote by a gentleman writing about this passage. He says, in all likelihood, what was utmost in his mind, in Paul's mind, was the lax moral state of Corinth and the feeling that absolutely nothing must be done which would bring upon the infant church the faintest suspicion of immodesty. It would certainly be very wrong to take these words out of their context and make them a universal rule for the church. So there's something that is, is happening in the church. There's, there's a a weighing of the prophetic words. There's chaos with the tongue speakers, with the, prof- with the prophets. There's something happening where maybe the women for the first time feel the freedom to participate in a church service. They're, they're given the green light to say, look, if you want to pray, you want to prophesy at church, man, go for it. I mean, this may be the first time really, because we just read about the, 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 the view of women in the first century was, look, man, if you want to say something, keep your mouth shut and speak through your husband. That was the perspective. And now in the church, they're saying, look, hey, if you, when you pray and when you prophesy, it's expected that you would participate in the church. Where it's expected that you would be praying and you would be prophesying and you would be exercising the gifts that God's given you. That's an expectation that we have of you. We're not here to silence you or shut you down. We're actually here to see you use the gifts that God's given you for the benefit of, of one another. But somehow, in the weighing of prophecy, what—and this is this is my perspective. So I don't think, this is not—we can't—we have to kind of fill in some of the gaps here. I think what was happening was, is that the women, and probably at the time, women were on one side of the church, men were on the other side of the church, and the ladies were talking and being disruptive during that time of weighing of the prophecies. Look, hey, look—if you need to to understand what was being said with the pro- prophetic words, for the sake, for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ? Would you lay down your rights and would you please have that discussion in a way that is honoring to the the culture around you as hard as that may be? And that's a hard pill to swallow. But that's what Paul was dealing with. So the question then doesn't become should women against the culture and say, look, forget you. I've got the right, I've got the green light to go ahead and and do my thing here at church. I'm going to do it to its full extent because I can. Or is it wise to say there may be some limitations that I will take on myself for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ? It's tough. It's hard when one group of people is really isolate it out from the rest and say, look, you've got limitations, but you go ahead and do whatever you want to do. That's hard. But this is what sometimes God calls us to do. Should we wear the headscarf when we go to Saudi Arabia or not? Well, what's the purpose of the visit? Is it a purpose to, to show how much freedom we have as Americans in the world and how strong we are and how powerful we are and how much better we are than you? Or we come along and say, "Look, we want to be—we want to be at peace. We want to be people who are respecting of your culture, respecting of where you're at, where you've grown up, what you understand to be true." So, what's the application to this? I believe because we we do not live in a culture where it's inappropriate for women to speak in church or to have a conversation on the street or to be educated. We have to understand the bigger picture here, I believe, is what the Apostle Paul is getting at and then is this understanding of the way in which our actions affect the people around us, affect the testimony of Jesus Christ. I think that's the big, one of the big pictures for us, That almost one of the takeaways for us is this. How does what I do affect my brothers and sisters in the testimony of Jesus Christ? I had an opportunity to grab lunch with a friend this week, and we were talking about some of the life decisions that this individual has, has been, has made, is, is making, and just the way in which this individual was talking about the, the process of making these life decisions was done in such a way that the priority was upon Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and what he's called us to and then that affecting the way that this individual is making decisions. And I cannot tell you, I left that launch, number one, encouraged, but number two, I thought, man, I want to make decisions that way. I want to be considerate of the priority of Jesus Christ in every area of my life. Whether it's work or it's home or it's with my family or it's just the, the stuff I get involved with outside of all those things, I want to be considerate of the way in which Jesus Christ rules and reigns over every aspect of my life. And I left her thinking, I want, man, I was encouraged. I want to begin making decisions like that. I want to do things that way. See, there's a spillover in, in the way in which we live our lives that affects the people around us. I'm affected. Singing on a Sunday morning. We said this earlier. We, we have the opportunity to make more room in the sanctuary. We can, get, we can put the kids in the children's ministry right off the bat, put them downstairs. We'll have more room up here for the adults. But there is an effect that the children, the, the, the way in which they see us, the adults, worshiping and engaging with the Lord and prioritizing Him, there is an effect upon their lives that I believe is so important. That we're not going to sacrifice that for space. Because there's spillover in the way in which we conduct ourselves here at church on a Sunday morning amongst a bunch of little people who are looking up to see us and who we are. That has an effect. Life share groups. We have small groups that meet throughout the week. The point of the life share groups is, is to, to gather people together to talk about the things of the Lord on a regular basis. Now, here's the deal. If you are doing that on a regular basis apart from Life Share Groups, amen. Don't feel like you've got to add something else to your calendar. The goal of Life Share Groups is not to get a part, to be a part of Life Share Groups. The goal of Life Share Groups is for some of us, me included, it's helpful to have something on the calendar on a specific day at a specific time to plan out, hey, we're going to get together and talk about the things of the Lord with other people. That's helpful for me. But for some of you, you're, hey, you don't need that. You're just doing it naturally. If you're doing that, amen. Hey, forget life share groups. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's important. There's an international student ministry. That Man, we welcome international students here. We are glad that international students from all over the world would would come hang out with us, come be with us, come sing with us, hear God's word together with us. Man, there's all kinds of opportunities for us to get involved in blessing and caring for that. When we see that happening, it's an encouragement to me. When we have you know, Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving, all these, all these celebrations, and there's international students at those gatherings that we, we come together with, man, I leave encouraged. I mean, that was a fantastic time. I love getting to go with international students. In the coming months, Lord willing, um, we'd like to see us begin to form welcome teams for refugees from Syria. And um, we would form these welcome teams who would help them greet at the airport, who would then help them find a place to get settled in, understand American culture, where to shop. I mean, all that kind of stuff. It has an effect on each one of us. As we come together And begin to serve the purposes of God, and begin to do the things that that are a blessing and a a consideration of other people. Man, it spills over to everyone around us. We can't escape that. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, ladies, especially if you have a prophetic word, if you have an encouragement, if you have a scripture, man, come ready to share in a Sunday morning. You don't have to be quiet. That's not this place. For all of us, that encouragement extends to all of us, men and women. Life share groups, come ready to share. Your gatherings and getting together, having meals together with other people, come ready to share. Come ready to to be a blessing to the people around us. We need that. And number two, it's also our responsibility towards one another. That's what God's given us to do. Amen. We're going to close. I just want to leave you with that. I want to leave us with that because there is a fundamental shift that comes as we understand that we've, we've been bombarded our entire lives with this idea that it is all about us, that we are the ones who make decisions for ourselves, that ultimately what's most important is myself. And this scripture completely flips that on, on its head and says, no, actually, it's not about you. It's about a consideration of other people. So Lord Jesus, we Come before you this morning and we give you thanks and praise for your work on the cross on our behalf. Jesus, thank you that you laid down your rights that we could be set free. Jesus, thank you that you give us the strength and the grace to come follow you even when it's hard and difficult, even when you call us to lay down our freedoms. Jesus, thank you. Lord, I pray that as we go forth from here today that we would go forth mindful of the way in which our lives affect and spill over into other lives, that, Lord, the way in which we love you and serve and, and bless and care for, Lord, it has an, a, an unbelievable effect on the, on the testimony of your name and on the way in which this church is built and strengthened. So, God, help us to be mindful. God, I pray that you would continue to press upon us those areas of gifting, passion that we have, Lord, that we could use to its full extent for your glory. And Jesus, we say all these things, that your name might be exalted above all other names, that, this, that your church, your body of people, your family would be strengthened and equipped and that our light would shine bright in the darkness. Amen.